0: Chapter 25 of The Moon Pool by Abraham Merritt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Moon Pool, Chapter 25 The Three Silent Ones. The arch was closer, and in my awe I forgot for the moment Larry and aught else, for this was no rainbow, no thing born of light and mist, no bifrost bridge of myth no it was a flying arch of stone stained with flares of tyrian purples of royal scarlets of blues dark as the gulf stream's ribbon sapphires soft as midday may skies splashes of chromes and greens a palette of giantry a bridge of wizardry a hundred nay a thousand times greater than that of utah which the Navajo call Nonagoshe, and worship, as well they may, as a god, and which is itself a rainbow in eternal rock. It sprang from the ledge, and winged its prodigious length in one low arc over the sea's crimson breast, as though in some ancient paroxysm of earth, it had been hurled molten, crystallizing into that stupendous span, and still flaming with the fires that had molded it. Closer we came, and closer, while I watched spellbound. Now we were at its head, and the litter-bearers swept upon it. All of five hundred feet wide it was, surface smooth as a city road, sides low-walled, curving inward, as though in the jetting out of its making the edges of the plastic rock had curled. On and on we sped. The high, thrusting precipices upon which the bridge's far end rested frowned close. The enigmatic, dully shining dome loomed ever greater. Now we had reached that end. We were passing over a smooth plaza, whose level floor was enclosed, save for a rift in front of us, by the fanged tops of the black cliffs. From this rift stretched another span, half a mile long, perhaps, widening at its center into a broad platform, continuing straight to two massive gates set within the face of the second cliff-wall like panels, and of the same dull gold as the dome rising high beyond. And this smaller arch leaped a pit, an abyss, of which the outer precipices were the rim holding back from the pit the red flood. We were rapidly approaching, now upon the platform. My bearers were striding closely along the side. I leaned far out. A giddiness seized me. I gazed down into depth upon vertiginous depth, an abyss indeed, an abyss dropping to world's base, like that in which the Babylonians believed writhed Talat, the serpent-mother of chaos, a pit that struck down into earth's heart itself. Now what was that? distance upon unfathomable distance below—a stupendous glowing like the green fire of life itself. What was it like? I had it. It was like the corona of the sun in eclipse, that burgeoning that makes of our luminary when moon veils it an incredible blossoming of splendors in the black heavens. And, strangely, strangely, It was like the dweller's beauty, when with its dazzling spiralings and writhings it raced amid its storm of crystal-bell sounds. The abyss was behind us. We had paused at the golden portals. They swung inward. A wide corridor, filled with soft light, was before us, and on its threshold stood bizarre yellow gems, gleaming, huge muzzle-wide in what was evidently meant for a smile of welcome the woman-frog of the moon-pool wall. Lakla raised her head, swept back the silken tint of her hair, and gazed at me with eyes misty from weeping. The frog-woman crept to her side, gazed down upon Larry, spoke, spoke, to the golden girl, in a swift stream of the sonorous, reverberant monosyllables. And Lakla answered her in kind. The webbed digits swept over O'Keefe's face felt at his heart. She shook her head and moved ahead of us up the passage. Still born in the litters, we went on, winding, ascending, until at last they were set down in a great hall, carpeted with soft fragrant rushes, and into which from high narrow slits streamed the crimson light from without. I jumped over to Larry, there had been no change in his condition. Still, the terrifying limpness the slow, infrequent pulsation. Rador and Olaf, and the fever now seemed to be gone from him, came and stood beside me, silent. "'I go to the three, said Lakla. "'Wait you here.' She passed through a curtaining. Then as swiftly as she had gone, she returned through the hangings, tresses braided, a swathing of golden gauze about her. "'Rador,' she said, "'bring you Larry.' for into your heart the silent ones would look, and fear nothing,' she added, at the green dwarf's disconcerted, almost fearful start. Rador bowed, was thrust aside by Lolaf. "'No,' said the Norseman, "'I will carry him.' He lifted Larry like a child against his broad breast. The dwarf glanced quickly at Lakla. She nodded. "'Come,' she commanded, and held aside the folds. Of that journey I have few memories. I only know that we went through corridor upon corridor, successions of vast halls and chambers, some carpeted with the rushes, others with rugs into which the feet sank as into deep soft meadows, spaces illumined by the rubrous light, and spaces in which softer lights held sway. We paused before a slab of the same crimson stone as that the green dwarf had called the portal, and upon its polished surface weaved the same unnameable symbols. The golden girl pressed upon its side. It slipped softly back. A torrent of opalescence gushed out of the opening, and, as one in a dream, I entered. We were, I knew, just under the dome. But for the moment, caught in the flood of radiance, I could see nothing. It was like being held within a fire-opal. So brilliant, so flashing was it. I closed my eyes. Opened them. The lambency cascaded from the vast curves of the globular walls. In front of me was a long, narrow opening in them, through which, far away, I could see the end of the wizard's bridge and the ledged mouth of the cavern through which we had come. Against the light from within beat the crimson light from without, and was checked as though by a barrier. I felt Lakla's touch, turned. A hundred paces away was a dais, its rim raised a yard above the floor. From the edge of this rim streamed upward a steady, coruscating mist of the opalescence, veined even as was that of the dweller's shining core, and shot with milky shadows like curdled moonlight. Up it stretched like a wall. Over it, from it, down upon me, gazed three faces, two clearly male, one a woman's. At the first I thought them statues, and then the eyes of them gave the lie to me, for the eyes were alive, terribly, and if I could admit the word, supernaturally alive! They were thrice the size of the human eye, and triangular, the apex of the angle upward, black as jet, pupilless, filled with tiny, leaping red flames. Over them were foreheads, not as ours, high and broad and visored, their sides drawn forward into a vertical ridge, a prominence, an upright wedge, somewhat like the visored heads of a few of the great lizards and the heads, long, narrowing at the back, were fully twice the size of mankind's. Upon the brows were caps, and with a fearful certainty I knew that they were not caps, long thick strands of gleaming yellow, feathered scales, thin as sequins, sharp, curving noses, like the beaks of the giant condors, mouths thin, austere, long, powerful, pointed chins, the flesh of the faces, white as the whitest marble, and wreathing up to them, covering all their bodies, the shimmering, curdled, misty fires of opalescence. Olaf stood rigid. My own heart leaped wildly. What? What were these beings? I forced myself to look again, and from their gaze streamed a current of reassurance, of goodwill. Nay of intense spiritual strength. I saw that they were not fierce, not ruthless, not inhuman, despite their strangeness. No, they were kindly, in some unmistakable way, benign and sorrowful, so sorrowful. I straightened, gazed back at them fearlessly. Olaf drew a deep breath, gazed steadily, too. The hardness, the despair, wiped from his face. Now Lachla drew closer to the dais. The three pairs of eyes searched hers—the woman's, with an ineffable tenderness. Some message seemed to pass between the three and the golden girl. She bowed low, turned to the Norseman. "'Place Larry there,' she said softly,—there, at the feet of the Silent Ones." She pointed into the radiant mist. Olaf started, hesitated. Stared from Lakla to the three, searched for a moment their eyes, and something like a smile drifted through them. He stepped forward, lifted O'Keefe, set him squarely within the covering light. It wavered, rolled upward, swirled about the body, steadied again, and within it there was no sign of Larry. Again the mist wavered, shook, and seemed to climb higher hiding the chins, the beaked noses, the brows of that incredible trinity. But before it ceased to climb, I thought the yellow feathered heads bent, sensed a movement, as though they lifted something. The mist fell, the eyes gleamed out again, inscrutable. And groping out of the radiance, pausing at the verge of the dais, leaping down from it, came Larry, laughing, filled with life, blinking as one who draws from darkness into sunshine. He saw Lakla, sprang to her, gripped her in his arms. Lakla, he cried. "'Mavirneen!' She slipped from his embrace, blushing, glancing at the three shyly, half fearfully. And again I saw the tenderness creep into the inky, flame-shot orbs of the woman-being. And a tenderness in the others, too as though they regarded some well-beloved child. "'You lay in the arms of death, Larry,' she said, "'and the Silent Ones drew you from him. Do homage to the Silent Ones, Larry, for they are good and they are mighty.' She turned his head with one of the long white hands, and he looked into the faces of the three. Looked long, was shaken even as had been Olaf and myself, was swept by that same wave of power, and of, of, what can I call it, holiness, that streamed from them. Then for the first time I saw real awe mount into his face. Another moment he stared, and dropped upon one knee, and bowed his head before them, as would a worshipper before the shrine of his saint. And I am not ashamed to tell it. I joined him, and with us knelt Lakla and Olaf, and Rador. The mist of fiery opal swirled up about the three, hid them, and with a long, deep, joyous sigh Lakla took Larry's hand, drew him to his feet, and silently we followed them out of that hall of wonder. But why, in going, did the thought come to me that, from where the three sat throned, they ever watched the cavern-mouth that was the door into their abode, and looked down ever into the unfathomable depth in which glowed and pulsed that mystic flower, colossal, awesome, of green flame, that had seemed to me fire of life itself. End of chapter 25